going to take our Bibles this morning. Yeah, this is a special day, but the thing that makes this day so special, that makes Sunday so special, is because this is the day that Jesus rose again. He rose again on the Sunday, and so we come together every Sunday to celebrate that. And we love the scripture that says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Uh, if you're just here for the first time this morning, you're catching us mid-series. We are in working through a series called Living by Faith. Many people know that uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is often known as the Hall of Faith. It is a wonderful chapter on faith, probably the most well-known chapter on faith in the entire Bible. And in this chapter, we have described for us what faith actually is and describes it for us. The word faith is often thrown around quite a bit in our society. People say, well, I have my faith or I have faith that this will take, take place or somebody just says, hey, be faithful. And we use that word a lot, but what does it really mean? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 1, we have a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, it is the evidence of things not seen. So faith is not always something you can see, but it is something that has substance. It is something that is real. It's not just make-believe. It is a real thing, but it's not something you can see with your eyes. And yet, I would submit to you this morning that you can see when a person has faith. You may not be able to see what faith is in itself, and yet you can see faith when it is at work in someone. And the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 gives for us a whole bunch of character studies, little vignettes, stories of different people's lives throughout the Old and New Testament who are described as people of faith. We learned a couple of weeks ago about Abel, Cain's brother, the first two boys ever born in this world, the first two sons of Adam and Eve, we learned about the faith of Abel. And he had faith in God to bring the proper sacrifice to God. And he demonstrated his faith through his proper form of worship. He demonstrated his faith through his worship. Then we looked last week at a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch is well known in the Bible because he was one of two men, human men, who didn't die. The Bible says he didn't die, but he was translated. He passed directly from this life to eternal life with God. And the reason God gives for this translation was because Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. He had fellowship with God, and the Bible says he, God took him. This week, I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read verse 6, but the person we will focus on is found in verse number 7. Verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's quite a statement because a lot of people would say all kinds of things could be pleasing to God. Well, I give money to charity, therefore I am pleasing to God. And God tells us we ought to give, right? But here there is a fundamental thing that is necessary to be pleasing to God, and that thing is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to, pl to please God. For he, that's you and me, that's any person that desires to come to God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Believe that who is? Believe that God is, that he's real. Faith in God and that he, God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So faith is necessary for a right relationship with God. And then we have the example of Noah. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now what were those things that Noah was warned of that had not yet come to pass? Well, for that, 
We'll go back to the book of Genesis chapter 6 and read just a couple of verses, a few verses here that give us this account about Noah and his relationship with God. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, by faith, Noah, I'm sorry, I'm reading Hebrews again. Let me get to Genesis 6 verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, when I read that verse, I wonder what God thinks when he looks at our world today. I wonder if we aren't too different in our day than Noah's day was. And it says in verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God is not just some faceless force in the universe. No, he's a God who cares deeply about his creation. And this verse says that the wickedness of mankind grieved God at his heart. Look what the Lord said. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. That's a strong statement. God says, I'm going to destroy mankind. I love the next verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We can look around us and wickedness and pain and suffering around us in the world. And if it were not for the grace of God, we would have no hope. We would have no hope. I'm so thankful that God was able to say about Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This morning, I want us to look at this theme, and that is the work of faith. The work of faith. We've seen the worship of faith in Abel. We've seen the walk of faith in Enoch. And now this morning, we're going to look at the work of faith of Abraham. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.1, We then as workers together with him, that's God, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in God or created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Did you know God made you to serve Him and to do good works, to glorify Him with your life? James 2 and verse 17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So we're talking about faith. And often people say, well, if faith, if it's, if, if it's not something you can see, then what do you mean by works? I thought we're saved by faith, not by works. And yet James says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. These verses tell us that wherever there is true inward faith in God, there is always a definite outward evidence of faith. A true inward relationship with God is demonstrated by an outward evidence of that faith. Would you agree with me that belief affects your behavior? What you believe affects what you do. I mean, you see that all around this. People say, well, I believe this or I believe that. But how do you know what somebody really believes? You know what they really believe by what they do. Faith shows itself in works. It's vain to say that if we have faith in God, that the the works in our lives resulting from are and giving evidence of such faith. So if we have works and, and things that don't exist in our life, then it's vain to say that we have faith in God. We can't say, I have faith, but I don't serve God. I believe in God, but I don't want to follow Him. I trust in God, but I don't want to work for Him. And Noah is our example this morning of a man who his faith resulted in working for God. 
In 2 Peter 2.5, the Bible says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. You know, there are three reasons I see that this study of Noah is extremely up-to-date in its teaching for us today. You can say, Noah, that was thousands of years ago, and yet it, it is right for us today. Why? Well, Noah lived in a day of grace, didn't he? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and guess what? We live in a day of grace. In the case of Noah, the door to the ark, this big boat that he built to save people from the flood, the door of salvation remained open for 120 years. We live in a day of grace when God's offer of salvation is still being made to men and women, to boys and girls. In 2 Corinthians 6.2, the Bible says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, listen to this, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And in Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know, that's good news for us today whosoever will, doesn't matter if this is your first time here or you never come back again, doesn't matter if you've been here for all five years that this church has been in existence, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, it doesn't matter anything that's taken place behind you, you can look to Jesus because Jesus says, whosoever will may come. We live in a day of grace. We also see in comparing Noah's day and our day, is that Noah lived and worked in a day of terrible apostasy, a day of turning away from God, and so do we. Genesis 6, verse 5 and 7, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Paul the Apostle wrote a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing or demonic spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy. Isn't that amazing that he puts de demonic worship up there with lying and being untruthful? having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Why did he have to slide that one in there? Because you know what, we, like, we, we, we have this big hierarchy of sin, right? We have, these are the really bad things and these are the not so bad things. But sin is any time we break God's law. Sin is anything that I think, that I say, that I do, that goes against what God has told me I should do. It's me not doing the things that God has told me I should do. So yes, even disobedience to parents gets put right in there with all of these other sins. He goes on. The list of sins is very long. And he ends it in verse 5 by saying, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, he says, turn away. Wow, he, all this list of horrible, gross, immoral sins. And he says, oh, and those who have a form of godliness, those who are just looking good on the outside, have it all together, 
but they've denied the power thereof. They're not letting God transform them from the inside out. They got dressed up well to come to church on Sunday, but their inside is full of lies. It's full of hypocrisy. It's full of pride. It's full of boasting. It's full of selfishness. He said, that kind of form of godliness, God hates that. He says, from such, turn away, turn away. What kept people from listening to Noah's message? You know, he preached for 120 years. He preached the message of salvation. Get in the boat before the flood comes. But see, the people looked around. They'd never seen a flood before. They clearly didn't live in Houston. (laughs) I'm thankful so far this year we've had a quiet year, but I don't want to get my hopes up. It's Houston. But in this day and age, they had never seen a flood. In fact, from our understanding of Scripture, they'd never even seen rainfall. God watered the earth through the, through the dew and, and through just a different form of precipitation in that sense. So what kept the people from listening? Well, it was the common interests of life. When you read about the people of Noah's day, what were they doing? They were eating, they were drinking, they were having a good time. They were living for themselves. They lost the best by living for the good. They lived for this present life. They lived for the day they were in instead of realizing there was a day of reckoning coming. There was a day of judgment coming. And when it came, they were not ready because they spent their life in selfish pursuits. It's a dangerous thing to be absorbed in just the pursuits of this life if it causes us to forget that Jesus is coming again. As Noah lived and labored for the Lord in a time of great spiritual and moral darkness, wickedness, we live in that same kind of day today as well. They see a third way that Noah's day was similar to our day and that Noah lived and worked at the end of an age, at the end of a, a dispensation, if you will, and so do we. He was living right before the flood in this pre-flood world. And I believe we today are living at the end of the days of grace. I believe that the day is coming soon when Jesus will return to this earth. I believe this day is coming when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account for what we have done. The Bible describes that day in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 and 39. It says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's why this character of Noah is so important to us. That's why as we study him, we say, Boy, our day looks a lot like his day, and we better be ready. He says, In the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came. You know, Noah had been preaching for 120 years, and yet most of the world was surprised when the flood came. How sad to think that when Jesus comes again, there will be those who are shocked and surprised. They weren't expecting it. They had no idea. My friend, don't let that be you this morning. Jesus is coming again. It says, they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And he says, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Those are clear words. So let's now look at Noah. And I'm going to move quickly. You probably looked at your notes and said, he's got seven points. We're going to be here all day. I promise each point is like a little paragraph in my notes. We're going to move through this. So buckle up. Hang on. That's the introduction. Let's now look at Noah and see how faith works. What is the work of faith? Number one, the work of faith is to hear the voice of God amid the clamor of other voices. It's faith to be able to hear God's voice in the midst of lots of other noise. And boy, we live in a noisy society, don't we? You know, these phones are wonderful, but some days I just want to chuck it. Yes, it's a helpful tool, but it can also be a tremendous distraction. See, the work of faith is to hear God's voice amid the clamor of other voices. 1 Corinthians 14, 10 says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices. There's lots of voices out there. 
and none of them is without signification. There's, they're all clamoring for our attention. Lots of noise. What a confusion of voices there is today. There's a song my dad taught me when I was a boy, and it goes like this. There are a thousand voices calling, and they all want me to give to them my time, my talents, and treasury. But this they do not know, so I'll gladly set them straight. I've already answered Jesus' call, so theirs is second rate. Yes, I've already answered Jesus' call. I'll tell them loud and clear. Presented my body to live for Him, who bought my soul so dear. So I want them to know, whatever they say, they can't fool me. For I've read in the Bible about their games of lying vanity. Boy, we live in a, vo in a world with lots of voices, don't we? Noah lived in that kind of day. The work of faith is to hear the voice of God amid the clamor of other voices. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. How did Noah hear God's voice? He heard it because he had a relationship with God by faith. And because of his relationship with God by faith, his walk with God by faith, he was willing to work for God by faith. The first work of faith is to hear the voice of God. How do you hear it? Be still. Put aside those distractions. There is nothing coming out of this device that is more important than what God wants to tell you in his word. I know we have to do our jobs, we have to take care of our responsibilities, we have to help our children and take care of our families, but my friends, we have to take time by faith to listen to God's Word. But you know what often gets said, well, it's hard, it's difficult, I can't understand. He's our Father. He's worth getting to know and listening to His voice. The second point. You see, we're moving quickly. Here we go. Number two, the work of faith is to obey the voice of God, however contrary to human reason it may seem. To obey the voice of God. That's faith. Genesis 6, verse 14, God said to Noah, Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. I want you to make this giant boat. But who'd ever heard of an ark? Or a flood, for that matter. What was he building this for? Surely there must be some mistake. No. God said it. And the work of faith is to accept what God says and act upon the revelation which God has made. If God says it in His Word, then for me and for you, by faith, we take it and we act upon it. We obey it. And that's what Noah did. The Bible says in Genesis 6, Thus did Noah. According to all that God commanded him, so did he. What a great description of Noah's life, that when God commanded him to do something, that's what he did. We have a couple of chiefs here this morning. When a chief gives an instruction, he expects that it gets done, right? And, and, if, and if you're leading a group of people and you are responsible to give direction to them, it's a great statement to be made about one of the followers or one of the servants or one of the helpers or one of the people lower down in the organization if they do what they're supposed to do. And that's what Noah did. What God commanded him to do, that's what he did. God's people have often been called mad or crazy when they followed God's bidding. They thought Noah was crazy. What's this guy doing? He's preaching and he's building an ark. Crazy. Crazy. The Bible says in Acts 26, verses 24 and 25, And he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Paul, much learning doth make thee mad. He thought that Paul the apostle was crazy. You know, but when we read the Bible today, do we think Paul was crazy or we think Festus maybe didn't know what he was talking about? Paul, you're mad, but he said, I'm not mad. 
most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. There was a man by the name of William Carey who was from England many years ago, and he wanted to go to India to tell people about the message of Jesus Christ. His friends called him crazy, but his work was a work of faith. There was a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor, and people said, Hudson Taylor, you're foolish to go to China. But from heaven's standpoint, his going was a work of faith, and God did a great work through Hudson Taylor. The work of faith is to obey the voice of God, even if it seems contrary to human reason. Number three, the work of faith is to do the will of God. Listen, even though you may appear to be the only one doing it, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's one thing to do something when everybody else is doing it. It's another thing entirely to do what God has told you to do when you feel like you're the only one. You know, the Bible has an example of a man that felt very isolated in his faith. His name was Elijah. I named one of my sons after this Bible character. And he got to a place where he was discouraged and he was off by himself and he wanted to quit. In fact, he said to God, God, just kill me now. It'd be better if you just took me out, God. Because I'm all alone out here, God. You remember when God came to him and he encouraged him and he said, Elijah, get up, rise and eat. And he fed him and he let him rest and he gave him to eat. And then he said, Elijah, I have 8,000 people who have yet to bow the knee to Baal. Elijah, you're not all alone. One of the devil's tools that he uses, one of his tricks, is to try to make you feel that you're all alone in the work of faith. I'm the only one left. Hey, look around this morning. You're not the only one left. Well, we're the only church left. No, we're not. We're the only people. No, we're not. God always has His people who are doing His work. Noah was the only one at first. But you know, Noah didn't get on that ark by himself. He had a wife and three sons and their wives. You may feel like you're in the minority, and we may be in the minority, but you're not alone. In fact, with you and God, it makes a majority, does it not? Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. If everybody else is doing it, God says, it's probably not the right thing. But he says, and many there be that go in thereat, because straight is the gate. Narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. When the devil suggests to you that you are mistaken in being a Christian, because so few are Christians, then remember it's the work of faith to call the devil what he is, a liar. And to go on living and working for the Lord, even though you may appear to be the only one in your sphere who's doing it. The work of faith is to do the will of God, even if you feel like you're the only one doing it. Number four, the work of faith is to continue in God's work. It's to continue in God's work in the face of every opposition and discouragement. There's no doubt that Noah must have faced opposition. There's no doubt that he would have easily been discouraged. I mean... He's building a boat for 120 years. How many times he must have been tempted to ask, is this really worthwhile? Maybe I am just mistaken. Maybe I didn't really hear God's voice. No doubt the crowd would have said, Noah, you're crazy. Well, how does that compare to the opposition that we have to bear in our life? Well, first of all, let me encourage you. Your opposition won't last 120 years. You say, wait a minute, he's telling me I'm going to die before that. Yeah, you probably will. But let me encourage you with Scripture. That's even more encouraging. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. For God, it says, 
is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Yes, there's opposition. Yes, there's discouragement. And you may be feeling that this morning. The weight can be heavy sometimes. But God says He will help you to be able to bear whatever He gives you. He won't give you above that you are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That's interesting. Some people say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, but read this. It says, with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Who makes the way to escape? God does. So you will face things that you feel like are more than you can handle. But with God, you can bear it. Because He is the great burden bearer. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, We are troubled on every side, but, he said, not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. And Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. What does he say, though? If we faint not. If you faint in the day of adversity, the Scripture says, your strength is small. Well, I look at that and I say, well, my strength is small. But God's strength is not. God's strength is not. The work of faith is to continue in God's work, even in the face of every opposition and discouragement. Our fifth point, look at that. You're hanging on. Take a breath. Number five. The work of faith is to accept God's judgment. Listen to this. Without questioning God's justice. This can be a hard one. Can you imagine being Noah? God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I'm going to destroy this world with a flood. Think about the ramifications of that. Noah knows that he's building an ark, and the only people who get in that ark are going to be saved. That means everybody else is going to face judgment. Wait, God, I'm not sure if that's fair. Lord, I'm not sure if that's right. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. Anybody else ever feel that way with things? Yeah, we do. But faith means I can accept God's judgment and I don't have to question His justice. See, God revealed this to Noah that He was going to send rain and destroy every living thing upon the earth. And Noah, in a sense, by his action, was saying, I believe that what God is doing is the right thing. You see, Psalm 19 verse 9 is always true. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Boy, isn't it easy to look at what goes on around us and say, God, I'm not sure about that one over there. I get why this person got what they got, but I don't understand this over here. It doesn't make sense. Let me tell you, God's not just up in heaven doing random things, whatever He pleases. No, God has a purpose. We already talked about that this morning. But God's purpose also extends to His judgment. And sometimes we may not understand His judgment. Man, every kid in here has questioned their parents' judgment a time or two. But it's not our job to question God's judgment. Because while we remember the severity of God's judgment, we also remember the blessing of God's goodness. His goodness. Romans eleven twenty two puts these two ideas together. There's this beautiful juxtaposition here. He says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. God's not a schizophrenic. He's not a split personality God. But He is a God of goodness and a God of judgment, of severity on them which fell. Severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. Elijah 
We already talked about him briefly. He prayed for a drought because of the wickedness of the nation at the time. He prayed for a drought and God answered the prayer and it didn't rain for three and a half years. We just made it through like a month, it felt like, without rain. Can you imagine three and a half years? See, the work of faith is to accept God's judgment without questioning God's justice. Noah, in a sense, took sides with God, right, when he built that ark. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. We're looking backwards at Noah and the judgment that God brought on the earth. But before I move on, I want us to take just a moment and look forward. Because God has promised to send another judgment on this earth. In 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 14, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. What does that mean? In other words, God always keeps His promises. Somebody says, well, He hadn't answered it yet. doesn't mean He won't. He just hasn't done it yet. He says, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, he says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, he said, that all things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Judgment's coming. So how should you live today in light of the judgment to come? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The work of faith is to live and work in the light that Jesus is coming again. If you had to take stock, if you had your faith report card out this morning, how are you looking so far on this work of faith? Are you living in light of eternity or are you just living, eh, it's just another day with all of its burdens and all of its joys, but it's just another day. No, it's another day closer to the return of Jesus. So well, how do you know that? Well, I take God's word by faith. By faith. Number six, the work of faith is to proclaim the message of God, no matter how difficult or unpopular it may be. Noah had to do that, didn't he? He had to stand up in front of a wicked day, and the Bible says all they were doing was thinking about wicked things, and that's who Noah got. It wasn't a friendly crowd. It wasn't your typical Sunday morning church service where everybody was excited to hear you. No, he had to proclaim the message of God in a very difficult time. You see, there were two sides to Noah's message. And in a nutshell, this was his message. There is salvation for all who will enter the ark, but there's judgment for all those who will not enter the ark. That's really cut and dry message of Jesus is the same. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Did you hear that? No man come to the Father but by me. Well, there's many ways. You, you come your way, I'll come my way. Not according to the God of the Bible. Well, that's your God. I have my God. Well, my friends, it comes down to faith. Will you trust God at His word? Or will you trust some other word? Jesus, even on when He was on this earth, He preached this same kind of message over and over. Jesus was really popular when he fed thousands of people. He, he was really popular when he healed sick people. But he wasn't very popular when he preached about the sins of the people. 
when he called the Pharisees and Sadducees whited sepulchers, like empty graves. He says they're just dead. There's no truth in them. John the Baptist, the prophet who came right before Jesus, he called the Pharisees and Sadducees, this will really gather a crowd, he called them the generation of vipers. It's not about calling names, but these men were speaking the truth. We need to be willing to call sin what it is. It's sin. We need to be willing to proclaim the message of God, even if it's difficult. There are people today who say, well, I just don't want to tell people about sin. I'd just rather focus on God's love. But you know, if we don't understand sin, we can't really appreciate God's love. If we don't understand where we are without God, it doesn't help us really to be with God. A relationship with God is, is not about just what you get. It's about what you don't have to have anymore. It's about what you lose. You, you no longer have to face condemnation. You no longer will stand and have to pay the penalty for your sin in, etern in an eternal hell. You can have salvation through Jesus Christ. And God's given us a, that as a job. In Ezekiel 33, 6, the Bible says, But the watchman seeth the sword come. If the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. What's he talking about here? He's talking about an old city that had walls around it. The watchman had a really important job. If he fell asleep on the job and the enemy came in unawares and he hurt people and killed people, whose responsibility was that? It was the watchman's responsibility. He was to look out for them. We heard about sheepdogs. It's the sheepdog's responsibility. And if they're not doing their job, we feel frustrated by that. My friends, if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, then God's put us here, as Corinthians tell us, to be ambassadors for Christ. If an ambassador is not carrying the message of his king, the ambassador is not doing his job. God's put us here to do a very important job. Yes, it's a difficult job. Yes, it may be an unpopular and unacceptable message to many people, but it's the message of God, and it's the only message that can truly bring hope. I think we see one more thing from the example of Noah, and that's this, that the work of faith secures the reward of faith. Go back with me to our text where we started in Noah, about Noah, Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet. Remember, the work of faith is to hear the voice of God. Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The work of faith is to obey God's word, even if it seems unpopular, even if you feel like you're the only one doing the right thing. And he says, and he did this, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world he sided with God he believed in God's judgment and didn't question God's judgment and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith I want you to notice two phrases these would be worth highlighting in your Bible he prepared an ark the first one to the saving of his house Noah's faith resulted in the saving of his house. That was his wife, that was his children, and that was his son's life. There were eight people that got on that ark. It was Noah and seven people related to him. You know what? Clearly Noah cared about the whole world because he preached for 120 years. 
And this wasn't a choice that Noah had to make. He didn't have to make a choice between his family or the rest of the world. But at the end of the day, if you saw your family come with you, wouldn't that make your faith worth it all? It says he prepared the ark to the saving of his house. And then notice there's one more phrase, the last phrase in the verse, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Noah wasn't saved by his works. He was saved by faith. But Noah's work of faith, his works demonstrated that his heart was one of faith in God. So Noah was not only accepted by the Lord because of his faith. Noah's loved ones were saved as a result of Noah's work of faith. What a reward. What a reward. Are you exercising faith in the Lord? Are you exercising faith in the Lord to encourage your loved ones to follow Christ as well? It's fun every Sunday to get up and see so many families and boys and girls and there's little ones speaking out in the service today and saying their little amens and everything else. It doesn't bother me to have children in a service. I think it's a wonderful thing. In fact, I had an old preacher tell me once, he said, if you can't out-preach a baby, you're not much of a preacher. <laughs> I think he was right. The thing is this. These children are here today because of the faith of their parents. I came because of the faith of my parents. For many people, that's their testimony. Now, you may be here this morning and say, well, I, my parents don't have any faith whatsoever, and I'm here with Adam. Well, what a tremendous opportunity now you have to be able to pass down your legacy of faith to somebody else. But here's the thing that happens about faith. It's not genetic in our DNA. That's not how we pass it down. Just because my wife and I have five children doesn't mean they're all born in faith, even though they probably feel like they were born in church. They weren't born here, but they spent a lot of time here. But, you know, as I walk by faith, as I read God's Word and then teach it to my children, you know what happens? They begin to listen and to hear and to understand it for themselves as well. And it's been wonderful to see one of my wife, my wife and I, one of our biggest prayer requests is that each of our children would trust God by faith and follow Him for themselves. Because you know as well as I do, your parents' faith is not going to be enough to get you through. It has to become your own faith. Somebody said it this way, God doesn't have any grandchildren. I like that. He only has children, not grandchildren. So everyone must trust God for themselves by faith. But a child who grows up in a family with mom and dad who love God and follow Him, a mother who cares for her children, a father who's pointing them towards Christ, those children have a tremendous gift, a tremendous blessing. And you know, we live in a society today where a lot of children don't have that kind of opportunity. A lot of children don't get to grow up in that home. Boys and girls, if you have a home like that, praise God for it. But, you know, I'm so thankful that even though you may not have a home like that, and there are many people in our community who don't as well, that the message of the gospel is available to them as well. Remember, he said, whosoever will may come. So this morning, if you're here, you don't come to God because your parents walked with God. Even though if they did, that was a wonderful blessing. No, this morning you can come to God because He wants to be your Father. Because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. So that when you stand before Him someday in judgment, as we all will, you won't stand there and say, well, my parents did this or they didn't do that. You can say, no, I'm here today because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for me. My faith isn't in my parents this morning, even though I love them very dearly. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Where's your faith this morning? It's in Christ. 
it can't just be in what I've done. No, it must be in what he has done. But Noah is a great example of a man who worked by faith because of what God had done for him. And I would invite you this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted in him by faith, to come to him today. He says, him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. He says, call upon me and I will hear you. He says, whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call upon him and trust in him as your savior, you shall be saved. Would you bow with me for prayer? Lord, I'm so thankful. Your word says it so clearly. In Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Lord, there may be somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Savior. I know for a fact there are some here today who have children, some young and some who are grown, who their children don't know you as Savior. So this morning as the piano plays and our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Father, I want to be able to have a time of invitation and to ask this church today, these folks that are gathered here today, Lord, about their relationship with you. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts now. And Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you or their children don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would help them and encourage them today. May they walk by faith. In Jesus' name. Before I finish my prayer. I'd like to take a moment to be able to pray specifically for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that your sins are forgiven. You've never had a time when you've trusted Christ as your Savior. If that's you this morning, I don't want to pick on you. I'm not going to call you out, but I would like to pray for you this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just lift your hand up right where you are, slide it up and put it right back down. Pastor, pray for me. I don't know if my sins are forgiven, if I've ever been saved. Thank you. God knows our hearts, but I'm going to take by that testimony that everybody here knows Christ. But if you don't, you can call on Him. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, would you pray for my children? They don't know you. They're not walking with you, but it's my desire that they would. I am praying to God and doing my best to live for Him. Pastor, would you pray for my children this morning, for my family, that they would follow Christ? Anybody like that? Please pray for my children. Yes, many hands, many hands. Father, you know each heart this morning, and you know the burdens of the parents who desire to see their children, their families to follow you. So, Father... Continue to do your work in and through these parents, these grandparents, these aunts and uncles, Lord, to encourage, to love on their family members, to share the truth. Lord, help them to walk by faith. And may by their example, their children and family members be pointed to you. Lord, help us each to be willing to proclaim the message of Jesus, even in a day when it's not always received like we believe it should be. Lord, we thank you for sending Christ. Work in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.